0: The Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name is Louise and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First, we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guest to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting.
1: Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution. does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and to help alcoholics to achieve sobriety.
0: So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places. Prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind – The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops, and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many, and a thousand is never enough. And yet, because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. And this is what makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. This programme has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. Okay, for anyone who has just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. We're just about to interview an AA member who's going to share their experience with alcoholism. So let's meet our guest. Would you like to introduce yourself?
1: My name's Daniel, alcoholic.
0: Hi, Daniel. Welcome to the show. Would you like to tell us a little bit more about yourself? How, how old are you?
1: Um, right. So, as I said, Daniel, um, near enough 50 years old. I'll be turning 50 this year, a young 50.
0: And how long have you been sober?
1: Uh, I've been sober now for 11 months. Wonderful. I'm going on for a year, That's... 17 days from now. Amazing,
0: want, yeah. amazing, and um, uh, Daniel, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Do you work?
1: Uh, yes, so I'm in the construction industry, mm-hmm. which um, can be challenging, mm-hmm. as as we know, a lot of uh, tradies do enjoy a drink.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, uh, yeah. yes, the culture. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so Daniel, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what what was life like growing up?
1: So, growing up, I was never really exposed to alcohol very much. My parents are. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather religious, um, followed a very good uh, upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of my introduction to alcohol would have been around um, my early, I'd say six, seven years old, thanks to my big brother. Right. Yeah, okay. So, he,
0: so you've got siblings, yes, right? Yes.
1: Yeah. So um, my, as I said, my introduction to any kind of drinking would have been around my big brother putting it in front of me and, mm. um, there was drinking in the family. Uh-huh. My my, alco- uh, my um, uncle was uh-huh. an alcoholic. He actually died one year older than I am now. So he oh. died at the age of 51 with an aneurysm. Oh. Um, so in my young years, though, I never realized he was an alcoholic. No. I, I knew my parents always used to speak about his drinking habits and that type of thing. But he sort of drifted in and out oh. of uh Sobriety, as I could see it, many years I'd see him not drink. Um, As I grew up and drank, um, I even shared a drink with him on the odd occasion, which was very much behind his family's back. Um, I had a good, very good, strong bond with my uncle. Uh, Miss him very much, and I wish he could have found sobriety and kept himself tidy, but um, you know, I do believe it would have led to a longer life for him anyway. yeah.
0: so let's let's talk a little bit about your drinking so so apart from the the introduction as a six or seven year old when did you start drinking
1: I would have actively started drinking around the age of 14, 15 mm-hmm. years old Okay. Um, as you get into senior school.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I was brought up in South Africa. Right. And drinking is just part of everybody's backbone there. Sure. Um, it's, it's a very drinking culture country. country. Mm. Um, and so, so
0: drinking with friends and… Yes,
1: and, and yes Yeah. I, I used to skateboard a lot and we had a good circle of friends who some of them drank, some of them didn't. I sort of latched onto the ones that did. Did, and, um, yeah, we got up to some ridiculous antics. Yeah. Um, there, there was always fun and games involved in it. Mm. Um, you didn't really have much of a moral compass right. a, a, in those young years. And I really sort of uh, developed quite a a, queen, a a keen liking to drinking and managed to maintain it quite well, um, although a lot of those drinking experiences definitely would have ended up being blackout drunk. Um it doesn't doesn't put the brakes on though. You just go out and do it again. You feel like that's just a part of growing up, and that's that's what's fun and what's good.
0: And um, when you had that drink, you know what 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 did it do for you? How did it make you feel? Oh, it
1: just put you on top of the world. Yeah, you know, um, where well, you might have been shy and and uh, not able to approach girls at, mm. at, at the bar or at mm-hmm. the club where you shouldn't have been in the first place at that uh-huh. kind of age. Uh-huh. Um, I, I, can, I can confidently say that I would sneak into uh, a place called White Horse Inn, which was um, – it, it wasn't even two kilometres away from the school. We would all walk wow. there on a, on a Thursday afternoon um, and get in before bouncers arrived <laughs> and we'd play pool and we'd be drinking our one rand, which is uh, – 10 cents, 10, 10 cents <laughs> in Kiwi money, uh, uh, 750 mil beers, and um, we'd get smashed and pretty much have a change of clothes in our bag, so we'd go in, get changed, stay behind mm. the radar until later that evening, mm. and yeah, pretty much uh, my friend at the time, best friend, still, still best friend today, um, I'd... Go and stay over at his parents' place that mm. evening because his his parents worked shifts, so we, we were able to get away with nonsense. Sure. We, we could drink ourselves to oblivion yeah. and then just pitch up for school the next day. Um, yeah, just I, so accessible. Yeah, I, yeah. I can remember taking little um, those tiny little uh, one tot, two tot Miniature. bottles. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. And he and I, if the Friday was going to be too hot, we'd disappear and go to where the school pool was, mm. um, which is on the premises, and we just disappear there and scull a few mm. of those and get ourselves onto a point where we could uh, just carry on with our school day. You know, you, you don't realize at that age that you're actually doing your brain a permanent mm. damage. Um, I, I, I literally have been sober for a year out of um, a ridiculous amount of years. If, yeah. you, do, if you do the math,
0: mm. I've, mm.
1: I've been a drunk for more than two-thirds of my life.
0: And, and Daniel, so um, talk to me about, you know, as you progressed through your teens and into adulthood, what was your, tell us about your drinking and how it, how it progressed.
1: Um, so, leaving school, I, I managed to get through school. Um, it's not difficult, you know, I didn't, I didn't necessarily study a lot. Um, I just had to listen up in class and I was able to transfer that information to uh-huh. tests and, and I managed to scrape through not with A's or anything of, of that sort, but I got my, uh, my high school um, education. Uh-huh. And I walked straight into a corporate job. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, pretty much it was for a company that sold fax machines, copiers, uh-huh. and uh, I was one of the first employees that was in a, a helpline to help people with cell phones. Sure. So when they the first introduction of cell phones... Um, And, oh, my gosh, that company had a huge drinking culture. um, culture. Yeah, Yeah. it was massive. Every Wednesday night there was an open pub. Mm -hmm. Uh, That open pub allowed you access to anything you wanted to drink. Uh. Um, So that was a Wednesday night and a Friday night. Uh. Um, Pretty much it dissolved my, uh, what what we might say is a a school uh, relationship. So Uh. a good relationship with a girl that would have... Gone on to possibly being getting married and having kids and all of that, but um, having yeah, no, yeah, you put yeah. yourself in that environment, and you're doing that twice a week, mm. and you're not coming home, and you're not being honest, mm. um, and you know all you can do is sort of look forward to the next yep. free drinking binge. Um, yep, so there was that, and
0: and, and so. We talk about, you're talking about consequences. Talk to us about some of the other consequences and, and the things, that I guess, that rocketed you into where you are now today in sobriety.
1: Well, I feel like when you drink that amount of alcohol and you have that few inhibitions and those few morals that go along with being a drunk, um, you don't really care about the people around you. Mm. So I've ended up. I spoke earlier about that best friend of mine who we drank together. I actually put his first beer in his hand. Um, he's not turned into what I did. Mm. You know, he's a great. Mm-hmm. He's a great man. He's forgiven me for um, ridiculous behaviour. Mm. You know, so um, those
0: behaviours were really, yes, yeah, really there. Yeah. And um, and so as you you know you grow up into adulthood, um, you know. Ha- what was it that we we often talk about in AA as your rock bottom, or or were there any attempts to try and stop drinking?
1: On numerous occasions, I had the fleeting idea that drinking was no good for me. Sure, um, I went through all my adulthood um, sort of as a loose cannon, mm. drank a lot. Um, did a few different jobs. Was in corporate. Went out of corporate. Went into construction. Mm. Um, hurt myself on a motorbike. Ended up managing a bar. That was really oh. clever because that that, <laughs> that that the owners of that yeah. bar were all too happy for me to have mm. an open bar to myself. Mm. I could get absolutely obliterated every night, and they loved it because I made them a lot of money. Mm. I'm a very well practiced drunk. <laughs> um, I can hold my liquor very well. Yeah. So, um, and. The moral compass, as I said, is not there no. when I'm like that. So you know, all sorts happens. Anyway, I ended up um, marrying a girl that's twelve years younger than me, and she was equally alcoholic. Uh-huh. And uh, where I spoke about trying to stop drinking, it was sort of a, a team effort. But the problem was, um, I have a very good ability or. Uh, strong-headedness around when uh-huh. I decide to do something, I stick to it and I get it done. So I can stop drinking. Uh-huh. I can put it down and I can say, right, that's enough. Um, however, in that companionship with my wife, it was always just a case of there was a target date. And at the end of that target date, we would just pick up and drink harder. Right. Um, a number of years of back and forth sort of behavior like that. And eventually, um I had decided for myself that I was missing out on too much with my kids. I do have two children, uh-huh. um, a nine-year-old and a sixteen-year-old. Uh-huh. He- thank heavens, my son has seen my transition from being um, uh-huh. alcoholic to sober. Uh-huh. Um, I know it's not a long period, but it's at the right age for him to see it. Yeah, and he's um, he's firmly set against. Um, picking up a drink.
0: Mm.
1: It's quite ironic because um, you know, back in the day, I would have been the first to hand him a drink. Sure. At this age, and been yeah. quite proud to stand around and have have a drink with him. But thankfully, I've had an awakening.
0: Mm. So talk to us about that awakening. What brought you to recovery, into recovery, or into your first AA meeting?
1: I needed something. I needed. I needed something. I I'd gotten to a point in my relationship where it had fallen apart. I'd decided to stop drinking. Uh I did that on my own I decided 100% that drinking was a bad idea that I needed to engage with my kids more Mm. Um, my partner deviated and went the other direction Mm. she drank harder Mm. um, which led to a horrible awakening one day that she'd actually (laughs) um, run straight out of my arms into the arms of another man who was ready to drink with her so um, I'd At at that stage, I picked up the bottle again and I drank harder than I ever have. I I took two weeks off work. I took every ounce of sick leave and every ounce Mm. of um, paid leave that I had and I literally put my head down the bottle of, uh, the the neck of a bottle. And um, when it had all run out and I knew I had to go back and work because, you know, you need to survive, I decided to myself, like... um, if I'm going to pick up again, I'm actually going to end up in the grave. Mm. I'm going to end up like my uncle did. And um, I I'd, I'd dabbled with the idea of AA for a long time. How uh, did you
0: How did you first hear about AA? I've how always known
1: you, about it. Always
0: known about yeah, it. Yeah, I've always
1: known about it ever since young. And yeah. that would have been because of my uncle mm. and because of just hearing things, my yeah. parents. They hid a lot of it away from us. I mean, we didn't sure. know the ins and outs yeah. around his alcoholism. Um, it was only one time in my life I can remember him getting – thrown down an embankment by my dad and going through a picture glass window Mm. and I was really angry at my dad about that but what I'd realized later on in life was that um, he probably was doing what he could to protect the family Mm. um, because we all know when persons drink um, their behavior is irrational you never know what he might have been saying or doing or anyway um, that's
0: so so tell us then about how you found your way to your first meeting
1: well, as I said, I'd, I'd known about AA and I thought, look, I'm going to go give it a go. I pretty much looked up um, online uh, just for AA meetings and yep. I, I came across a meeting on that specific day that was the beginners. Wow. Um, so I found myself sitting in that room full of people not knowing what to expect or um, how to actually act or behave when I went in there. I quietly sat at the back of the room Um I was welcomed open armed. Um wow. yeah. The, it it was very inviting going yeah. in. Um, I sat next to a gentleman that had greeted me at the door mm. who could see that it was my first day and yeah. whatnot. And he he I I sat back and listened a bit and he encouraged me to talk and literally opened my mouth and I just I couldn't do anything but blubber and cry. Wow. Yeah. I was yeah. In, I was in a very, very delicate state. Yeah. Um my relationship had fallen apart. I didn't know what direction my life was going to go into. Mm. Um, I didn't want to go home. I didn't want to be at home. Mm. I didn't want to I – d- I didn't want to actually be. <laughs> mm. Mm. And, um, yeah, it, going in and sitting in that meeting, I found a peace. Mm. You know, it was difficult to talk on that day, and I couldn't get much out. No, but for sure. Everybody was so grateful that I was there. Yeah. And um,
0: And so, so tell us, Daniel, you know – Nearly a year down the track. What are some of the things you do now to ensure your sobriety?
1: I wake up every morning and I pray. Wow. Yeah, I wake up every morning and I I ask God to give me guidance. Yeah. When I'm feeling down, uh, when I feel that I might need a drink, Mm -hmm. the first thing I'll do is look for a local meeting, uh, a a meeting around that time. It doesn't matter if it's at work or anything. I, I, I... I look online and I'll find out which is the ne- next closest time yep. for the meeting and I'll get in my car and I'll go there and I'll sit there. And if I don't talk at the time, it's it's only just actually to be in that aura of God. Like nice. um, yep. He's there all the time for me. But I do find when I sit in an AA meeting, that room is filled with power. It's filled with an energy that I can't explain. Um, I'm very early on in, in the steps of sobriety. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I know when I'm in, in a speed wobble, Mm-hmm. And I need help, and I need um, guidance, or yep. or just just um, the courage, not to go and walk down the aisle in the supermarket, which is the devil's aisle. Um, mm-hmm. I just go to a meeting,
0: and um and that's and that is the the beauty of the program is is, is all around us. And you touched on spirituality, which we talk about as. Our program is a spiritual program, not a religious program. And so, for you, what does that look like?
1: Knowing that there's something bigger and better than me that has the control,
0: and you don't have to do it alone. Yep,
1: yep. I don't. I, uh, for many years, I was a self-soother and, mm. and um, tried to fix my own problems. Yeah, and more often than not trying to fix your own problems makes your problems bigger. Mm. So just being able to throw in the towel and say, no, actually, I don't have the control over this. Yep. Even the idea of coming in for a radio interview today, I had to pray about it because um, I was like, I actually I feel like I'm too new in this. <laughs> and what yep. am I going to say that can benefit anybody at the end of the day? And honestly, um, we all need to give back. Mm. And and if that means me putting myself in an uncomfortable situation for Mm, the time absolutely. it takes for this interview. Um, hopefully somebody listens on the other end can relate to that.
0: Yeah. Yep. And and Daniel, tell us what's your life like today?
1: A lot better than it was 10 years ago, yep. 20 years ago, 30 yep. years ago when I was drinking. Um, yep. It's it's positive. Yeah. Um, I've I found myself a new circle of friends that um, if I pick up the phone and I'll talk to them and I'm mm-hmm. having a rough day, <laughs> they're supportive, they understand where I've come from, mm. and vice versa. Absolutely. You know, I can see when people are having a bit of a rickety day and, and, and be already, there. Be I there like for to support. be there for them. Yeah.
0: So Daniel, what would you recommend for someone who thinks they might have a drinking problem? What what, what could they do?
1: Just come and sit in a meeting and listen.
0: Come and sit and listen. Yeah,
1: just come yeah. and listen. Don't, don't go there with any mindset around what it's going to be like. Um, how you need to behave or what you need to put on the table because you don't need to put anything on the table. You just need to come there and listen to some people's experiences and you will relate to mm. somebody. Absolutely. 100% you will. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, Daniel, thank you so much for coming on the show and um, sharing your story with us.
1: It's a huge pleasure. Thank Been you for having Lovely to me. have you here. Yes. Thanks.
0: For our listeners, if you've related to anything that you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at www.aa.org.nz or call us on 0800-AA-WORKS. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that's your business, but if you do want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We will now close the show with the serenity prayer as we do in every AA meeting. God, God grant me the, the serenity, serenity to, to accept, accept the things, things I cannot, cannot change,
1: courage change to change the things I can, and wisdom to know, to know the difference.
0: difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9.